Hello, patrons. You are on our Patreon page, and thank you for subscribing and listening. And if you're listening on Spotify, you're not following our Patreon, and you should totally subscribe to it. Anyways, patrons, here's your monthly sacrifice. Yeah, here we are, here to offer our um, monthly penance for your kindness and and, uh, donations, and uh, thanks for your... uh, donations for letting us uh, do the show uh coins what? and your donations and yeah your thank you for your... And your love yeah we love you and again yeah we, we will probably release this episode in uh several months after october on our main feeds on spotify and apple and so if you're hearing this not in october of 2021 you could have heard it uh way back when when we initially uploaded it so yeah, uh, when it was get on topical our... and spooky and halloweeny and season appropriate right because that's what we need to say here this isn't just our monthly patreon special here to talk about the cinematic marvel josie and the pussycats it is also kind of the Fountains of Splain Halloween special. We'll do some other kind of Halloweeny stuff through October, especially toward the end of the month. But for the whole spooky season, uh, we picked Josie and the Pussycats. We were just talking about this before we got on mic, but because it's such a classic Halloween costume thing. You always see groups of cat girls on uh, <laughs> Halloween. And, and uh, cat boys. And cat boys. Wow, and non uh, gender nonconforming cat peoples. Uh, of all kinds. <laughs> Shouts out to whatever that 1940s movie, Cat People, that you review on your other podcast. Oh, yeah. That was yep. the first uh, review episode of Harmony Brackets was Cat People. So great great, uh, great crossover here uh, to talk about another part of the cat cinematic cat canon with yep. Josie yeah, and the Pussycats. Right. And great uh, cross-promotion and promotion, I think, is a great segue for talking about... Uh, what was it? What year was this movie made? 2001. 2001 movie classic, Josie and the Pussycats. Also, right. I am here too. Yay! Um, Ryan is also, yeah, Ryan is joining yeah, us for I'm Patreon. I'm here, here too because I like to talk about movies uh, and it's a Patreon special, so we get to do whatever we want. So, yeah. No I'll parents, no well. rules, no, no gods, no managers. Gone. Yep. Uh, yeah. We're jumping on the bed. <laughs> Whoa! Showering uh, with our feeding clothes chocolate on. to the dog. Yeah, feeding chocolate to the dog. Sleeping on the roof. Yep. For sure. Um. Yeah. So the whole the reason we're talking about this um is because primarily Adam Schlesinger of the band Fountains of Wayne, whom we normally talk about every week, uh, contributed the song. Uh, what's it called? Uh, pretend, pretend to, to be, be nice. nice. I, I thought it was try to be nice. He, he did pre- <laughs> uh, the song "Pretend to Be Nice," which is on the in the movie and on the soundtrack album, which I think did quite well uh, sales wise, and also produced a number of other tracks uh, and did some kind of music consulting for uh, the movie, which is a music driven movie about a band. Yep. And uh, at this point, Adam was uh, in a band, and I guess was also sort of freelancing as a songwriter for hire for film and TV, and. Um, Obviously, this comes after he did the song for That Thing You Do, the titular That Thing You Do song, which we talked about on our last Patreon episode. So this is kind of a natural continuation, uh, both like literally and thematically, because it's about a band who comes kind of out of nowhere, zero to 100, with a big hit. I mean, the, the songs that Adam wrote for That Thing You Do and for Josie and the Pussycats, literally both in those movies 
uh, feature montages where the song is climbing the billboard charts and the band yeah. is like celebrating as that's happening. So they just like, it's like Adam had carved this niche for himself in the 90s through the early 2000s as like hired gun who writes songs for fake bands uh, who have a one hit wonder, which is just kind of uh, funny, I think. Josie and the Pussycats, obviously, if you don't know, is based off a comic series, uh, the Archie comics. Um, the movie actually, for a good part of it, takes place in Riverdale, which I am aware that there's a television show about Riverdale, but I've never seen it, um, so I can't really comment much about that. I haven't either. Yeah, I haven't. I was going to ask you guys because. I am not familiar at all, really, with any Archie comic stuff. I know the whole, like, Archie canon is, you know, like, a century old. and like I think, like, generationally, we, like, slightly missed that boat. I think we missed it by a long boat. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's weird. Those are, like, old as fuck. No, I know. Yeah, they're from, like, the 50s. I think they were still piercing popular culture. They came out in, it says they came out in 1941. Yeah, right. So, but then there was waves, like there was the baby boomer era, but then I think they came in the 80s, like there was an animated Josie and the Pussycats TV show, I believe. And then they were- Wait, oh wait, 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 another, important to say, another reason that I thought we should pick this for the month of October is because Josie and the Pussycats in animated form make a cameo in Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, yes. Yeah. I was going to say, they're up there with the Globetrotters of yeah. like, that's how I first heard of Josie and the Pussycats same, was same. they were, yeah, they were on like, Scooby-Doo did a run where they like had all these guest stars on, like the Globetrotters <laughs> were on for an episode of Scooby-Doo, um, obviously animated, but yeah, Josie and the Pussycats were also on as well. So they um, have longtime spooky lore. Right, That's and they're just—they've just been a part of you know American pop culture for a long time in kind of comic books and TV and music, and then I think this was the first time there was like a big movie about them. But then they're part of this bigger tapestry of the Archie comics universe, which, like, yeah, like you said, with Riverdale, the TV show has had this revived relevance and popularity amongst young people like Gen Z. Um, at least maybe I don't know if anybody watches Riverdale anymore, but at least a few years ago, that was a really big show. And that yeah. Sabrina show, I think, was kind of canon with all yeah. that stuff. But the Chilling like, Adventures of Sabrina, that's that's also a comic series as well that got turned into a TV show from the Archie canon. Yep. So it, it's funny yeah. that I feel like, you know, millennials got skipped like there was no really <laughs> popular Archie media for when we were growing up like there was no buzzy edgy tv show on the cw there was no popular comic for like when we were little kids uh, or animated show in the way that like kids who were kids in the 80s or the 2000 teens or the 40s got to grow up with the archie comics or some kind of archie media we just didn't so this whole thing like there's bits of this movie that i can tell they're playing into nostalgia because it came out in 2001 so it feels like maybe it's targeted at people who were kids in the 80s and 90s (laughs) Uh, and feeling like disconnected from that, there's parts of it that definitely are just less effective for if you didn't grow up with Josie and the Pussycats or with Archie or Riverdale stuff, because it's just like, I, you know, I just don't know anything about it and don't really have any special interest in these characters who have been in comics for decades. I, uh, according to the, the, so I was doing some reading on the Wikipedia page, uh, earlier today <laughs> and some a, deep a, studious reading. <laughs> a pair, yeah, well, apparently, um, because there's so much like tie in with like Dreamcast and Sega, like 
we'll talk about this much later, but like there's a ton of product placement in the movie. Uh, one of the big ones is Dreamcast and Sega. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog does appear in the Archie comics uh, at one point or another. So millennials didn't completely miss out on the Archie franchise if you want to include Sonic the Hedgehog. And if I they were paying attention. Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, if you were paying attention. If you knew fucking anything at all, you'd know <laughs> Sonic was there. Right in yeah. Riverdale, rolling Cannon. around at the speed of sound. Yeah. Wow, Despite Cannon to Archie. Out- Despite yeah. missing out, Josie and the Pussycats are still deeply meta figures. Yeah. They'll they're timeless. They'll be around forever. Timeless. They'll be yeah, they'll be Speaking a Josie of- the Pussycats movie made in three thousand and one. Um You yeah. wish, wow. It's never gonna stop. Speaking of uh how timeless Josie and the Pussycats are as an institution um, Josie and the Pussycats, the movie made in 2001, is the least timeless piece <laughs> of cinema I've ever seen. It is, and as if to rub it in our faces that the year is 2001, there is a boy band <laughs> including Brecken Meyer, Donald Faison, and Seth Green. Uh, to be fair, the boy band known as Du Jour in this film that features those gentlemen is possibly the greatest part of this movie. So funny. So funny. It's so disappointing because the movie starts with Du Jour, and for the first, like, ten minutes, I was like, oh, this movie's gonna bang. Like, this is gonna be great. Uh, right up to, like... Okay, so let's just put this out there for anybody who cares. I think we're going to get into some spoiler territory, so if anybody cares, like, go watch Josie and the Pussycats. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, they fucking, like, die in a plane crash ten minutes into the movie because, and, like, the way it happens is genuinely so funny. I was laughing so hard. (laughs) Yeah, I wrote it down because, like, the, so their their manager, who is played by Alan Cummings. Perfectly uh, played by Alan Cummings. Incredible. He, um, so he he actually initiates the plane crash to kill Dujour, and the code that he uses to initiate the plane crash is uh he tells the pilot all right it's time to chevy to the levee which is like <laughs> such a so fucking funny to me um obviously if you don't know that's from the song american pie and american pie is written about how uh the big bopper and um uh oh my fucking god uh buddy holly died yeah. in a plane crash and so as soon as he was like all right chevy DeLevy, i was like let's go <laughs> like that joke yeah. is so smart like they <laughs> yeah. set you up like it's gonna be such a smart funny movie and then like it yeah it just and du jour, is... like the the pop band of today is called <laughs> du jour. it's just like such a it's yeah, so such funny a fun and like their catchphrase is like it that their catchphrase changes so, like du jour means friendship du jour means family or whatever and du then as the plane's IG. crashing they're like du jour means seatbelts <laughs> <Just like laughs> um uh this is a terrible movie that made me laugh out loud many times. I did not enjoy the movie, but I laughed a lot, which is counterintuitive. One of the funniest parts is when they're like remembering du jour on the news and they just like flash like a gif basically of the band du jour dancing and it says du jour 2000 to 2001. <laughs> <laughs> they're not individual men who died, lived individual lives and died individual deaths. <laughs> they're just a band that is one year old <laughs> yeah i mean also we should say like before we get deeper into like our kind of critical commentary on the movie 
the three of us, I think, have an unpopular opinion, at least for now. Like, when the movie came out in 2001, it didn't do great at the box office, and it didn't get great critical reviews. Now, there's this big nostalgia around it. Like, I was on Letterboxd before, and everybody I follow on Letterboxd has given this a four-star or above review out of five stars. (laughs) And it's all people who are, like... You know, these, like, Gen Xers who probably saw it when they were in their teens and now are, like, being the... Like, the same way, like, I can watch, like, the Scooby-Doo movie live action and be like, it's not that bad. You know, like, because you're just going to be a little easier and biased on things you grew up with. And there's this big nostalgia in this movie and it has amassed this cult following i think people really love it so you know i think uh a lot of people listening to this our review of it are gonna disagree with us which i also want to say is great and fine and everybody should reach out with their counter points and counter arguments and we'd love to hear what everyone else thinks of it but yeah we we all three of us i don't think loved it so uh yeah i mean Uh, you can you can like the movie and it can still be bad those are two separate things and i feel like that's 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 kind of the thing with a cult classic movie like i would say that like anybody who really wants to try to make an argument that josie and the pussycat is a well-made movie (laughs) would really be grasping at straws but anybody could have liked it i mean like yeah there were times that i liked it there were also times when i was checking to see how much longer the movie was because i was done with it i literally Um, wrote down as a note just cringe like there were moments where i couldn't look at the screen because like the writing was so terrible and like the moment was so unnecessarily awkward and uh, i mean somewhat comparably like let less so I i love the movie that Adam Schlesinger also contributes on music and lyrics and I love it exclusively because it's a cemented and fond childhood memory that I like established in the year 2004 like if I had seen Josie and the Pussycats in 2001 I'm positive I could still like it and like have my endorphins be flaring and like be on the internet screaming at people that they should like it also there's so much like in just like style and fashion and hilarity in this movie that's so easy to hang your hat on as well so if you like the movie you have like a very you're coming from a very valid place yeah yeah definitely the the time capsule element of it is undeniably pleasurable i mean seeing the way everybody's dressed some of the like slang and then the commentary on the slang like when they're manufacturing (laughs) slang and they're like oh it's gonna be jerkin as in those pants are jerkin and then that comes up (laughs) later through the movie like that's a pretty good gag and also like is kind of like how people that's what slang was like in 2001 i thought that was very funny um but yeah no the time capsule stuff um is really fun carson daly and trl and like low-rise jeans and rhinestones and sunglasses that are tinted but you can see the eyeballs through them like there's just so much stuff here that was making me remember the 2000s simultaneously cringing but also being fond because that's when we grew up but also like you know looking back and being like wow people really went outside uh dressed like this in 2001 last night when i was taking notes i accidentally wrote alan cunning <laughs> like and he you. sure is in this and movie he was. Yeah, he certainly was yeah a lot of the like a lot of the actors in this movie um like really kind of carry carry it like you know alan carries it but like i think that head and shoulders far and above the number one person that carries this movie takes the whole movie puts it on her back carries it across the finish line tara Tara reed Reed. every fucking time 
Terry, and it's such a thankless Jeez. role, and the dumb blonde trope is so played out and so tired. I think even by 2001, it was like, yeah, we get it. She's blonde. Oh, this movie was so, so manic pixie sexist. Like, her, yeah. like, working on the car and, like, <laughs> Yeah. There's so much yeah. not like the other girls' energy. Not like the other girls. I, I said that. You, you I said that. that. At the you first like, shot of, like, their house... I was. I turned to Grace and I was like, "Wow, they are not like other girls." There's the, between the not like the other girls energy and the girl boss energy. Uh, it's something that's just unacceptable in the 2020s. Like watching it now, you can imagine yeah. like a feminist scholar watching Josie and the Pussycats and being <laughs> like, "I wonder how many years this set us back." <laughs> and speaking of sexism, Rachel Lee Cook's haircut is absolutely unacceptable, and it should not be allowed. It should not yeah. be an option as a hairstyle. And then they made her over, and they just made it bigger and worse, <laughs> but the same. No, she walked out of the hair salon, and I was like, wait, it's the same haircut, just a little more. <laughs> they dress... Ro- uh, wow, I'm going to fuck up her name. What's that actress's name? Rosamund. No, it's not Rosamund. Rosario Pike. Dawson. Rosario Dawson. So and different than Rosamund Pike. So Grace. opposite from Rosamund Pike. Rosario Dawson. And, I'm going to edit uh, that out. <laughs> That's not okay, let's start it. from a clean place. <laughs> um, Rosario Dawson and uh, Rachel Lee Cook are dressed like shit the whole entire movie. And Tara Reid pulls fucking looks. She's still... Firmly, like, dressing in the early 2000s. She's still rocking an early 2000s vibe, but she looks absolutely amazing. Like, there's actually style happening. There's actually color being yeah. considered. <laughs> and it's also, impossible like, for her to look bad. I mean, this. also that. Yeah. Through, like, the fashion and the performances, she's really just walking so that Amanda Seyfried could run in Mean Girls. Right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, I get. I guess, too, like, you know, the, the kind of dumb blonde thing is played out, but, like, they're trying to be... You can tell that they're trying to be very loyal to the source material like there's even one part where they're like doing something and one of the characters turns the other one and they're like why are you even here and she responds oh because i'm in the comic book mm-hmm. yeah and you to know, me like, like i was wondering like trying to think about other media of this time and i feel like there was a point where everything got re- went from being really sincere to being really meta and really cynical. And that was the thing I found kind of groan-inducing watching this movie because I was like, we get it. You know you're a movie. It's self-aware. But I think for 2001, yeah. that probably would have genuinely been funny and interesting to see a movie be so self-aware and so meta. and no, like Because a lot of the actors in the movie are like making fun of the movie as they're acting in it. I mean, I think it goes without yeah. saying, Parker Posey is chewing the scenery in a way where she fully knows, like, it's like, she's like making fun of the movie, which I think is the point. There's scenes where Alan Cumming is basically making fun of the movie. The only people who are asked to play it straight are the members of Josie and the Pussycats, but then that kind of doesn't work because you have to spend the most time with them, and they're sincere in a way that's like annoying because the rest of the movie is just trying to have fun and make fun of itself. So there's a lot of tonal inconsistencies there, and what was even my original point about this? Oh, just the (laughs) fact, like, I don't know, like watching it in 2021 the like getting a line like i'm only here because i was in the comic book is just sort of like you roll your eyes at it like yeah well everything's based on comic books so uh get used to it also now if you watch this movie or any other movie in the early 2000s that marketed itself as a comedy it 
it's like when you see physical comedy from an early 2000s movie now and you're like, why? Like, this scene didn't need to be in there. Like, uh, there's definitely one in this movie, but I didn't write it down and I'm forgetting it. Um, But there's always a moment of, like, physical, funny violence to the protagonist that is just, like, mandatory in early 2000s movies. And you're, like, just sighing as you're watching it now. But Yeah. Also, too, like, when this movie was made, like... like we're in a very particular uh, movie climate right now where absolutely everything that is coming out is a remake or a sequel or something like that. Based like, on existing probably, IP. Yeah, I probably sound like a boomer saying it, but like there really isn't a lot of like original stuff coming out today. And so like like I've I kind of have a problem with that. And like I feel a little bit like I'm being hit over the head with like no 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 it's based on a it, no it's it was a video game but now it's a movie and and instead of being like video game graphics it's like a real person doing it. Yeah. So then like in 2001 when they're, when they're like I get it it's based off a comic it's like oh, yeah I fucking get it and I don't care and I don't like it. Right, but then that's like it sucks because you don't want to like be mad at the movie for doing that in 2001 because it's so many years before everything was like based off comic books but it's hard yeah. to separate yourself from it if you're watching it from from this because it just hasn't aged well in that way like sometimes you watch a movie from 20 years ago and you're like god this holds up uh and it's not like josie and the pussycats could have predicted that right. it being a movie based on comics was going to just be like one of seven billion movies made in this century or at least yeah. the first based off of a comic. It, yeah. that are based <laughs> off comics and other media, TV and video games and stuff. Um, but to have a movie be like, we're a comic book movie, like so bonk, yeah. bonk, bonk over the head the whole time. It's just like, yeah, it's just kind of, kind of eye roll. There's also the troubling energy of the product placement commentary, <laughs> by which I mean, we get that the whole product placement thing from the start is like a clear choice in the movie. They literally at one point have just a product placement montage where they show you as many famous capitalist logos as possible. They even say Um, this might be the only movie where they say the words product placement. Like Parker Posey, when she's trying to sell it to the government, like scummy government guys from the Pentagon and the record label secret headquarters, she's like product placement, which is like, so again, just being so on the nose, like no subtlety ever. Yeah, yeah, Parker Posey is like the lady from the Hunger Games in the Capitol, but for the early two thousands, <laughs> yeah. her outfits are absolutely devastating to look at. Like, yeah. uh, day ruining outfits, incomprehensible. Uh, in, in the best, absolutely impossible to understand visually. Yeah, um, I think I feel so sick today because of Parker Posey's outfits. That actually last tracks. Night. Yeah, Ryan has a tummy ache today, so. Yeah. Um, He's really falling on his sword to be here with us today. Yeah. Or maybe it was yeah. all the brainwashing messages from watching Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. True. All the. Uh, <laughs> I'm suffering from Havana syndrome. <laughs> Havana, good time. <laughs> uh, actually, there was really funny. There was a really funny part with the product placement at the end of the movie um, where they're talking about like, because the, the whole, yeah, the whole point of the movie, the whole like, I guess like plot the driving factor is that like there is a big corporation they take pop music they put subliminal messaging in the pop music it turns everybody into super consumers like actually a pretty pretty good um like idea like yeah, I actually really totally. like that idea I, yeah, I think I was it's definitely behind the structure 
Yeah, and then at the end of the movie, they're like, oh, so like, what, we're not going to do this with like music anymore? And then they're like, no, we find that product placement in movies works so much better. And then there's like a quick freeze frame where it flashes, Josie and the Pussycats join the army. Just for a, <laughs> like, just for a second. <laughs> and I laughed out loud at that part. That was really, really funny to me. That's, it. that's the thing. It's like, it's a movie that's so cynical. Uh, about american culture and sometimes the things the commentary feels like a little tired and obvious and then other times it is really kind of sharp and and bitter in a way that actually works what i was gonna say before about product placement in this movie is like the quality of it's like that it's about that and you're almost proud of the movie for like being bold and having a position on that and kind of like darning to take on capitalism but then you know in your brain as a person who watches movies that they're being paid to advertise these products like they they weren't yeah i I looked that up yeah they did it all free and willing, like wow. fucking assholes. Wow, <laughs> which is a pretty admirable. From Target, yeah, it's, it's it's like pretty punk rock, but also like that's the opposite of how opposite it normally goes, right? Yeah. Well, it, what's what's troubling though is like okay, so and we can't. I we really need to emphasize this. This is the whole point of the movie. The movie like isn't about an inspiring teen rock band who comes from a small town and goes to the big city and makes it and overcomes the evil corporation of the label and becomes like big stars it's a movie about consumerism and materialism and how like hollow and empty and banal american life is especially i guess at this time although i don't i wouldn't say it's gotten any better necessarily um so that's the whole point of the movie. I wrote a note where I said, I get the point of the movie. I don't know why it's a jo- Josie and the Pussycats is the movie we're doing this in. But like, <laughs> I guess I'm here. For- I can imagine being a fan of Josie and the Pussycats and being like, why are you hijacking the, yeah. the thing I like? It's like, it'd be like, I feel like you went to go see Iron Man and it wasn't really about Iron Man. It was about like climate change. You'd be like, I mean, I agree, but I kind of like wanted to see an Iron Man movie. <laughs> or if you uh, went to go see Transformers and it was just a commercial for the army. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, wait Which, a minute. Oh, that oh, is wait, oh, wait. That's a, yeah. If, you're, if you play Call and actually, Judy basically, and then... <laughs> basically, all the Marvel movies are just commercials for the army, where they specifically are paid by the government to show the military in very, very favorable lights. Make sure that they're always helping people. Make sure that they're like always doing really, really good stuff. But yeah, those movies are also propaganda as well. Yeah, of course. Um, and so, you know, in a way, the uh, product placement and all that stuff is kind of revolutionary. And another way. Uh, you know, okay, so if you're going to look at a map of, like, 90s, 2000s, 2010s of, like, commentary in movies about product placement, you have, I think, the most effective example I can think of is Wayne's World, where they uh, start, they have, like, one scene where they do all of the commentary Josie and the Pussycats is trying to do in, like, two minutes, and it's so (laughs) funny, and it works so well. And it's because they crammed it into two minutes, and it's a silly movie that's, like, trying to be you know dumb and i think the moment works there then you have josie and the pussycats which is the whole movie it's that scene from wayne's world except it's the whole movie and i think at some point you're like i get it we hate to see products shoved down our throats all the time and it is like now you've done it and i hated it (laughs) right and now you've done and in making the commentary about it though you still have done it and then going to the 20 teens you have a movie like jurassic world which did the same thing but people got really mad at it for and i don't know why people didn't get mad at um 
Josie for it, but people got mad at Jurassic World because I also was like rolling my eyes when in Jurassic World they're at the theme park and it's like, oh, there's the uh, like McDonald's and there's the Starbucks and whatever, and the products are like really shoved down your throat. And they claimed that they didn't take any money from those things and that they were doing the same thing Josie and the Pussycats was, which was making a commentary about how like you know overrun our whole lives are by product placement and advertising and branding, and it's just like this horrible factor of living in America. But both of those movies still do that. Like, you're still watching a movie where every two seconds you have to, like, look at a Starbucks cup or a Target or, uh, you know, all the other things. And I don't know. It's, yeah. It, it, like, that's that's the thing. Like, your your brain does not know the difference between ironic product placement and real mm-hmm. product placement. Like, there is no difference between those two. Like, when your brain sees that Target logo over and over and over again in every single scene of the movie, like, that has an effect on you whether or not it's supposed to be ironic or tongue-in-cheek or, or very real. Like, which is yeah. kind of, yeah, which is kind of the annoying part. My brain still feels bad that, like, I had to see all, all those things. Like, I watch yeah. movies to get away from, like, uh, you know, having to look at the fucking Walmart ads all day. And then when you watch a movie and it's, like, shoving that stuff down your throat the whole time as commentary and being just so, like, you know, heavy handed about it. Like, 10 minutes into the movie, you're like, okay, we get it. And then by the end, yeah. they're not, like, proposing anything new in that thesis. They're just saying the same thing over and over and over again and again not really offering anything new i mean wayne's world did the product placement thing they live did the we're being brainwashed to conform yes. this movie thing. did have a lot of parallels to they live this yes. has a strong they live vibes and uh, we didn't even refer- get a 10 minute fist fight which i, <laughs> I mean yeah. yeah at least give me a 10 minute fist fight if you're gonna do this yeah and in reference to this or movie Keith being- davis <laughs> yeah, give me Keith David and give me uh, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, give me Rowdy Roddy Piper. My give me one man. of them at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in reference to the idea that this movie is less efficient, or is yeah less efficient than Wayne's World. Also, this movie is just too long. Like Ryan <laughs> clicked on it at four, like forty minutes in, and we had like seventy minutes to go, and we were just like, oh, like what you said, like it just took them too long to get to the idea, and we were already all aware of the idea and clued in on the idea, so there was like no journey for us to take. There was like no mystery for us to unravel. It was all kind of handed to us in the first twelve seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then there's no room for nuance or for the commentary to grow or change at all. I mean, the other thing I think that really hurts the movie and to compare it again to Wayne's World, here is a movie I think pulls this off, is the main characters of Josie and the Pussycats aren't super sympathetic or likable or interesting or fleshed out. Uh, they're except really... Melody. Except, except Melody. Melody. Except Melody. But, uh, <laughs> Who, it, like, also isn't fleshed out, but, like, is just killing. Like, is just, killing it. Like, is a punchline, but is killing wait, it, at least. What was the thing she said, Ryan, that made us lose? Oh, when they were talking about... <laughs> If they could travel back, oh thank God, you're talking about this. Thank God, I wrote this down. I was going to bring this up. This is my favorite moment in the whole movie. This is the best part of the entire movie. Somebody like asks Josie. Josie Josie and Melody are having a conversation. Josie was like, "If I could travel back in time and talk to somebody, I would do this person." Like said a person in history that she wanted to speak to. She was like, "If I could go back in time, if I could just go back, I would make everything right between." Us, because there was like and, conflict happening. And, it's like and at Melody, the climax. Yeah, Melody, yeah. played by Tara Reid, says, "If I could go back in time, I'd talk to Snoopy. I'd meet Snoopy. I'd yeah. meet Snoopy." <laughs> 
that missing on so many levels was i was i watched this movie by myself and i was like and by this point i was like over the movie i was like when is this movie gonna end and that movie that just like blight it was again it was like why can't we get more moments where alan cumming jumps out of a plane and crashes the plane into the side of a mountain because he's disposing of a band or we get these like there's like moments where this movie really shines and then so much of it is so heavy-handed and so like not funny you know like i think thinks it's being funny because it's like isn't this what america's like but it's like yeah but like you said that 10 minutes ago and you're not saying anything new about it it's just the same yeah. joke over also and over again. the the choice to put um both of them in a death mobile on one of the spinning car platforms and then tara reed is just like looking around to address josie physically like turning her whole body to follow her as she spins around in the car it's just like a moment of comic genius tara yeah. reed gets no credit because she did the sharknado movies but she's low-key brilliant no she's a full-on genius um, she's a comic genius i'm on the archie comics uh website and i have the official description of melody character her, char- her, her character description according to the archie comics her full name is uh melody valentine she Aww. likes drumming kitties using proverbs parentheses <laughs> and never getting them right yes yogi berra (laughs) she she dislikes buzz kills and not being taken seriously and tara pulled it off tara pulled off every part of it she first appeared in archie's pals and gals number 23 in 1963 oh my god ryan you mentioned when we were watching it the choice to name the drummer melody is so consciously stupid Yeah, and uh, there, there's more. So Melody, the drummer for Josie and the Pussycats, is as doofy as she is beautiful. And boy, is she beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, that the boys fall over, fall head over heels for her just by looking at her. She is very happy-go-lucky and with her head in the clouds, often confused in the situation. While she's usually a bit of a space cadet, when her brain's fired up, she's a force to be reckoned with. She's very passionate about the people in her life and falls to pieces rather easily. Thankfully, her bandmates Josie and Valerie are always there to provide support. Yeah, that's melody. Yeah, that all checks out. They definitely so portrayed that in the in the movie. Again, like we're we're not really familiar with the source material, so I don't know how accurate these characters were uh, in terms of how they were in the comics and and stuff. Yeah, but it's good to see they um, were actually trying it at least on uh, at least on melody. Yeah, while we're talking about the bandmates, uh, did you also see that? Uh, Beyonce audition for the role of Valerie. I did Whoa. see that and didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is amazing. Uh, a, cou- a couple people did. Yeah, I was reading. Uh, I think like uh, Aliyah did, and yeah, there's there's a few very high profile people. Rosario Dawson does a great job, just because Rosario Dawson is like a world class actor, and is if everyone else looks like they're making fun of the movie, Rosario Dawson throughout this movie has a look on her face like, why am I here? Like, there's this whole yeah. like yes. she's totally outclasses the movie, like deserves to be in a way way better project, and is like in this silly like frothy movie that you forget about as soon as it's done and just like i'm glad like went on to have this super solid career that is still ongoing because uh yeah. definitely deserves better than to play second fiddle to josie and josie and the pussycats for sure um one of the notes i took last night was alan cumming murderer profiting off of tragedy in the fye <laughs> is anything uh, more 2001 i liked that scene where they were in the and you know this is actually a, a something that i was curious about and if anybody 
has any input on this like having that dj like in the cd store to like play music for people and introduce it was that a real thing or was that just like part of the movie Oh, I hope so. I bet at like the really big places like Tower or Amoeba, they probably had in-house DJs that were you, spinning new records. That'd be pretty. Do you pretty guys new. remember when Fye like had the movie center and they would like have the screen in the back that you could go in and like I don't know if you could put movies in it or if there was just always like a movie playing on it, but. The F my local FYE used to have like a little mini movie theater in the back. My local FYE did not have that. Oh, bullshit! Sounds pretty pretty sick though classism yeah really yeah um the starbucks the pussycats meet alan coming in has the same vibes as the coffee shop in club penguin (laughs) 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 what i wrote and i'm discovering for the first time also actually oh oh, you go you go you go i was gonna say that moment where yeah alan's driving in the car and they run out in front of him and it kind of stops and freeze frames and the meatloaf starts playing it's also a really great part of the movie True. Mm, yeah yeah that's a nice moment also carson daly being a like hired killer <laughs> is a great part of the movie <laughs> yeah that that's a great that's a great cameo um speaking of great cameos i think my second favorite part of the movie is the entire informational short that eugene levy provides oh that yes. was so funny oh, yeah. so good the end to that that was the, i i think there was three laugh out loud moments one was sustained du jour moment uh <laughs> the second one was the end of eugene levy and the third one was terror raid at the end with the yeah, snoopy was... joke um yep. But the the thing where, like, he's like, because this is America, and, like, a lady in a bikini comes out holding a big flag, and he says, and America's badass, <laughs> was just like, <laughs> <laughs> or I think it was kick-ass, which is even funnier for some reason. And he's uh, like, hi, I'm Eugene Levy from television, and then yells at a PA. Yes, <laughs> he's like, yeah. right off the Cappuccino. Demeans a PA. Having that person be Eugene Levy is so random and so funny. Yeah. I thought that, I was just, I was cracking up at that. I thought that was great. Um, oh, a pussy got yeah. in the background. Oh yeah, I mean, I oh I we have this. Is the, I can't believe we forgot to say. I am recording today from Eric oh Gandalf gosh. from his home. You know Eric Gandalf from the credits of every episode because he's part of the VIP Acela Lounge, and he's also a close friend of ours. And he's letting um, me record at his apartment today. And his cat Redacted is right behind me. It looks like he's standing oh, on my shoulder right now. A putty cat, a putty cat. We came here just for the Josie and the Pussycats episode. Oh, yes, yeah. I can see him paying attention. I think Daisy Lou's somewhere in the background of Ryan as well. Um, and uh, we should mention that that makes Eric an executive producer of this podcast. And he's also kind of actively producing right now by lending out his home studio. So thank you, Eric, as always. Yeah, thank you to all our patrons who really like put it all on the line for the show. Um, you know, yeah, we all, we, yeah. everyone who subscribes to our Patreon, we, we record in their homes. We show up unannounced yeah. with our microphones. If you haven't got we the should. email yet, check your spam uh, box. It probably came. We're uh, coming. You know, yeah, we could be at your house any any day. Yeah, so. doorbell yeah. might check be ringing your, any check minute. Check your now. promotions. Check your promotions yep. folder. Um, that would actually be an awesome way to see the country. I feel like. <laughs> Just be like, hey, go come record at your place. <laughs> <laughs> For no Member reason. of the VIP SLM. This is a part of it. What's your address? Um, that's pretty much all the things I had to say about Josie and the Pussycats, I think. I mean, we're going to get more into the Adam song in a, in a minute. Does anybody have any other stuff they want to say just about the, the movie part of it, though? Oh, actually, I actually have one more thing. And it's just to make it a connection because this is a spooky episode. 
So Missy Pyle is in this movie, hugely underrated. She plays the sister of the manager. Uh, everything Missy Pyle's in, I think she does a fantastic job in. The Missy- manager was also amazing. He was also great. And that guy, like, definitely deserves way more uh, work than he has gotten over the years. Uh, but Missy Pyle is part of a country duo with Shawnee Smith, who plays Amanda in the Saw movies, because they are close friends. And they have a band together, which I think is amazing. And Grace and I both love the Saw movies deeply. Uh, and so I just thought that was a great connection that Josie and the Pussycats is like two steps away from Saw 1. Oh, wow. That's romantic is what it is. Yeah. Um, I also want to say that in the beginning of the movie, um, Alan, the love interest for Josie, says, hot, wet garbage on a sunny day. And I thought that was a pretty good summary for the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just wanted to say in closing that Seth Green makes everything better. And I trust him implicitly. Also, how do we think it's aged that um, the big tragic origin story and reason that Parker Posey is so evil is because she has a speech impediment? Do you think think that holds up? (laughs) You couldn't make a movie like that today. You couldn't. No. Yeah, that's like that's like the big thing is that like Parker Posey is doing all this because she has a lisp and she feels insecure about it. A stress it. induced lisp. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Wyatt Frame, played by Alan Cumming, turns out he's also albino. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, like, and overweight, and he's like, I almost forgot the end of the movie because it was so like to its credit, like. It gave me like pretty much nothing new the whole time, and then I was completely shocked by like that random joining at the end. Because the entire movie, I was like dreading the moment that fucking Alan M and Josie get together because like they were such unsympathetic characters, and like you said, like taking it so seriously, which I just like resented basically. Um, and like all of their love plot lines were so incredibly cringe that I like couldn't even watch them. I was like chewing on my blanket out of discomfort. So like when instead they kind of pivoted and were like these amazing b-plot characters that are actually legitimately good actors they're in love because they were the losers from their middle school incredible twist yeah the whole movie is so like you know frenetic and crazy and zany and energetic in a way that's like kind of headache inducing but if you're gonna do like a big thing at the end do it with the craziest characters like <laughs> the jo- like at, by the end of the movie who cares about josie it's all about parker posey and alan coming they're yes, just having yeah, way parker- too much fun you want to be like yeah. on their side of the movie like i you're rooting for them by the end <laughs> As in all good movies, the the best character isn't introduced until like 45 minutes in. And Parker Posey wasn't introduced until then and then just stole the whole rest of the show. Like scenes where she wasn't in, I was thinking about Parker Posey. Scenes she was in, I was transfixed by her. Incredible as always. What Apparently rude in coffee shops, but <laughs> besides You'll that. see previous episodes of Bounce to Splain for, for more. For more details. And then rate, review, subscribe. Thank you. Okay, time to pretend to be nice about the song. I do that every day. (laughs) I do that every time I log on to do this podcast with you. I'm actually real-life enemies with Tyler. Yeah, we hate each other in real life. We're just pretending to be nice. So the song struck really close to home. Yeah, for fucking sure. Uh, Okay, so first thing that jumps out at me about this song, like when it started, I had looked up like when... 
which song was Adam's, but compared to all the other songs in the movie and on the soundtrack album, like this one is unmistakably an Adam Schlesinger song. It's very Adam. Like it's, yeah. it's super clear to me, which I thought was funny. Like it pops up and it's like, even when he's like putting on a different like outfit, like, it, you know, in that thing you do, he's being like a sixties pop band and here he's being like a present day early 2000s pop band and even through the filter of both of those sounds and those genres like you can always tell it's adam which i think is really like a testament to his voice coming through his influences and stuff which you hear in fountains of wayne a lot too yeah this is easily the best song on this soundtrack however that is a very easy contest we were looking before we um, resumed recording after going and taking a minute to listen to the song, and the album did quite well. It was certified gold in the U.S., and uh, on the Billboard album charts, it peaked at uh, 16 on Billboard, which is really good. Uh, I, you know, it, it did quite well, but it's amazing for a movie about a band with a bunch of catchy pop songs that the album to accompany that movie is not that strong it feels like it would have been a bigger priority to make sure there was like really catchy good songs like front to back on this record i guess i mean people were buying it it sold you know thousands and thousands of copies so i guess it was working for somebody yeah when you you guys logged back on before me i was listening to the other songs that adam produced and they were all they all sounded like effectively the same to me now that they don't have like different images and plot points to set them apart they all had a real like 80s and the 50s vibe one of them like had a lead up that sounded literally like a stray cat song like it was all there's one of them is actually just straight up i I don't know who the song's originally by but money that's what i want is a A classic song yeah a beatles cover like it's just a cover of a song it's like and i think the beatles covered i think it's like a motown song oh yeah yeah that's what i was saying the it's not a beatles song it's a beatles cover yeah or yeah the other way around the beatles are covering it yes Yes, yeah. There, there's a few songs on here that are covers of, like, old, old songs. Hilarious. <laughs> weird. Weird impulse. <laughs> the song itself, like, you know, we were saying before we started recording, it's not Adam's best song, you know? Uh, and it's not like Adam needed the rest of Fountains of Wayne to write great songs. I think we all agree that That Thing You Do is a banger and, like, a timeless classic. Uh, that Thing You Do, the song, as well as the movie. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of the songs he wrote for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and his other songwriting endeavors are super good. And I don't think this one's like a total miss. It's just like no. when you look at it in the context of the rest of Adam's work, it's just like an okay song. Like, it's a pretty good pop rock song. Honestly, uh, we all had to take a break to re-listen to it. I think a lot of that is because, like, I didn't remember it yeah, super yes. well. Like, I had to, like, really re-listen to it to even form an opinion on it. And... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's fine. It's a fine song. There's an argument to be made, too, because this is the big brainwash song, like we aforementioned uh, before the break, quote unquote. This is the song, the main song that they release that like has the manipulation track like layered into the recording of the album. This is the song. So I think like a, you could argue that the song is doing its job by being a sort of boring one note song like we've come to expect from pop music and that we were definitely like cynically coming to expect in the early 2000s from pop music it it sort of yeah like does a perfect job and another thing about it is that like the song's content it's talking about another lovable loser just from a woman's perspective which I want to talk more about because that's 
that's different. Like, we don't get a lot of that. And I think that theme is lost because it's being juxtaposed by, like, girl bossery and by, like, the trajectory of them climbing upwards and then, like, green screened in front of a rising record charts graphic. And and so I, like, didn't even remember that that's what the song was about. Like, it's so much deeper than I think you superficially observe. Yeah, I I will say, like, for how just sort of, like, okay the melody of the song is and not being super memorable, the lyrics of the song I really like, like, reading along to it, I think it is a unique song because it comes from sort of a down-on-her-luck narrator, which you don't really get a lot, especially in pop music, especially of this time. And, uh, like, when you actually read them, it's actually a really sad song. It's the classic Fountains of Wayne thing where a lot of their songs, the contents of the lyrics are sad, but the actual construction of the melody or of the, you know, uh, instruments, like all that stuff, is happy and upbeat. Uh, and yeah, the song, like looking at some of the lyrics, like it's about this total, like bum, this total loser who like <laughs> she's dating. Soft boy. Yeah. It's such a soft boy. Like that lyric. And there's such a, these like finely observed, like specific lyrics that you're like, oh, this movie doesn't deserve this. Like this Adam, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this Adam turns a phrase, like the thing about like he shows up at her house and falls asleep with yeah. the sunglasses on this yeah. tongue hanging up and then he disappears for a week and doesn't say anything and comes back and pretends like everything's normal. Like those are like glimpses into it's like those are genuinely good ideas that adam had and then like had to make it a song that was like appropriate for this movie and this like place in the movie but he snuck some real kind of like nice little storytelling things in and characteristic like little bits of um character you know like made the the voice of this song like a real person i think which is you know yeah, I think he kind of has this accidental feminist moment because he's obviously writing from his own perspective and his own experiences. So so maybe he is writing from a male perspective, but it ends up being presented by a woman and like the, the pronouns and the lyrics end up reflecting the experience of a woman pursuing a man, which is like was so in, unusual in media at the time. Like we both grew up being like, that's weird. And like in the future, like when I would go on to like be the pursuer <laughs> so many of my relationships like I felt weird and I didn't feel like I had that experience reflected back at me and I felt like something must be wrong with me or I'm ugly or like I'm not like somebody who just like sits back and gets pursued but like it's just not an experience that's kind of reflected usually I don't think it was intentional at all but like work you know yeah I want to see the movie about the narrative of this song like i want to see a movie where a woman is dating like a real kind of dirtbag guy and her only plea to him at least at the start is just can you at least pretend to be nice like i could make my (laughs) peace with being with you if you could even just like pretend to be nice and there's something so sad about that like she deserves so much better that he because like there's something there's such a difference between can you be nice and can you pretend to be nice uh, and I don't know. I I think that's a really funny and uh, uh, worthwhile distinction that deserves a better exploration than what the song and ultimately the movie serves it. 
Or like, I mean, if we, I think if the roles were reversed and this were a Fountains of Wayne song and we were presuming a male perspective, we might even question that they're together. Like, I don't get that they're definitely together. I don't get that, like, this is a boyfriend fucking her over. I get that, like, she's clamoring after a guy and he's not returning it. Or like, he's stringing her along or he's just like straight up giving her nothing. It's kind of hard to tell. And I think it leaves it somewhat up to the imagination. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I don't know. I it's this definitely could have been a Fountains of Wayne song. Like there's yeah. uh, if it was know. like more musically interesting, it could have been a Fountains of Wayne song. Right. Like, uh, yeah, it's 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 yeah. a little too frothy, a little too easy. Uh, it it lacks like the nuance that I think Collingwood and Jody Porter and Brian Young when they all got together and like there's all those like little things that make their song so textured and interesting most times. Uh, and this is definitely a song that's just like so straightforward musically compositionally that i think it ends up like kind of tripping on its own feet because lyrically i think it's a really kind of really lovely song yeah and while we're talking about the song uh we should mention that the vocal double for rachel lay cook um the actual person who is singing the song is Kay hanley uh of the band letters to cleo uh which is a boston based band and a also, Boston-based band. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, there are plenty of people in the Fountains of Cleo fandom that overlap with the Fountains yeah. of Wayne fandom who would Fountains be very excited. Cleo. Fountains and, of Cleo. <laughs> and Kay Hanley contributed to the Saving for a Custom Van album on Bandcamp. She contributed Radiation Vibe. And yes. Charlie Bit and Charlie Bliss contributed Pretend to be Nice. Yes, yeah, very true. Um, I think Charlie Bliss killed that, by the way. Yeah, she there's did. A, uh, there's a video online. Uh, Letters to Cleo did a reunion tour, and they play Pretend to be Nice, and they invite Adam Schlesinger out on stage, and he plays rhythm guitar. Whoa, that's so cool. Such a small world, too, like that. that was all... Like, who let these, like, 90s music outcasts become, like, the people writing for Hollywood mainstream movies in the 2000s? Like, what? what, Who was working at the studio who was, like, a secret music nerd who was like, I'm going to up the profile of all the people I'm a secret fan of and (laughs) let them write for movies and shit? Yeah, right, because in one of the Adam Schlesinger tributes, Kay Hanley spoke about her relationship with Adam and how he really, like, kind of inspired her to get on the track to work in film and TV as a songwriter. Cause she, yeah, she does the same thing now. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this like, so uh, that's such a great band letters to Cleo. And like, uh, it is cool. I didn't know that until after the movie, but hearing it, I was like, cause there was a couple moments where I was like, if these songs were retooled, they could be popular indie rock songs of today. Um, and I was like, something about the vocal performance is really kind of contemporary. And it makes sense that's Kay Hanley, because Kay Hanley has such a great voice that I think is super kind of timeless. I also came across a video from 2010, and it was Adam Schlesinger and Mike Viola performing this song, just acoustic. And... um Adam was introducing it and he said it was a huge blockbuster, not in terms of ticket sales or anything, just busting blocks. (laughs) I thought that was wonderful. (laughs) That's good. Um, I wanted to uh, also, I I I was contemplating watching this. It's the song with the montage where they're climbing the charts, like we said. And I was watching this and I was like, you know, my memory of 2001 is a little fuzzy, 
but this doesn't really feel like the kind of song that could have been a number one or even probably like a top 10 hit in the united states in 2001 it just seems there seems to be something kind of like out of sync there so i looked up the actual every song that hit uh the hot 100 uh number one that peaked at number one uh and it was only 14 songs it's like a really hard thing to do to get a song there because they stay there for weeks um and when you look at them uh can i can i read them out because there's only yeah for sure there's only 14 of them and you could see that, like, yeah, this song could have never been a number one hit. And for something that's, I think, supposed to be very contemporary, like, this takes place in the early 2000s. Like, it's just not a hit song. Um, Independent Women by Destiny's Child uh, was on the charts for four weeks. It Wasn't Me uh, by Shaggy, which yes! was recently sampled yes! uh, as in another popular song. Tragically, for only one week, Miss Jackson by Outkast, which is such a good song. Um, Stutter by Joe featuring Mystical. I don't even know what that is, but it was number one in the U.S. for four weeks. Uh, Butterfly by the new metal band Crazy Town. Actually, it was on the charts for one week. Uh, Angel by Shaggy featuring Rayvon. <laughs> Shaggy is having his moment. Was, Butterfly yeah. came back after Angel, actually. So March 24th, week of March 24th, Butterfly by Crazy Town was number one. Shaggy came up with Angel for the week of the 31st, and then on April 7th, Butterfly retopped the charts, uh, which is wow. interesting. Um, All For You by Janet Jackson has the record for most weeks. It was there for one, two, three, four, five, Wait, six, seven weeks. Wait, can I stop you? This is all in the, the year 2001? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Continue. All in the year 2001. Uh, so yeah, Janet Jackson was up there for seven weeks with All For You. Uh, the song Lady Marmalade by Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Maya, and Pink was there for a good five weeks. You Remind Me by Usher. Bootylicious by Destiny's Child, there for two weeks. Alicia Keys song, Fallen, for three weeks. Uh, J-Lo featuring Ja Rule, I'm Real, Murder Remix, three weeks. Alicia Keys, Fallen, comes back for another three weeks after. And then I'm Real, Murder Remix, comes back again for another two weeks. Family Affair by Mary J. Blige dominates for one, two, three, four, five, six weeks. Uh, Usher, You Got It Bad, is there for one week. Uh, And then... Ending the year, uh, week of Christmas, uh, Merry Christmas to us all, ending the year, Nickelback song, How You Remind Me. <laughs> happy holidays. I think happy you mean holidays. happy holidays, Tyler. Merry Christmas oh, sorry, is a sorry, slur. Sorry. No, it's just... 2001. That was back when you could say Merry oh, Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This the was before the... Days, the good old days. The good old days. 9-11 happened. Before the towers <laughs> fell. Back when you could uh, say Merry Christmas. Yeah, was Josie and the Pussycats pre or post 9-11? Pre or post? Uh, pre, I believe. Which honestly, yeah, it I has wonder that if they energy were to, for fucking sure. It has like big 9/11 hasn't happened yet energy. It, yeah, also, they were it features all over a, a, a plane uh, crashing because of. Oh yeah, oh them and Final Destination slipped it right under the wire. Got they had those, right in there. Oh, awesome. Also, interestingly, week of 9/11, um, I'm real murder remix, J Lo and Ja Rule. That was the big song. Uh, murder remix coincidence? No, yeah, coincidence? I don't think so. Did Alicia Keys plan 9/11? <laughs> Wow. But no, you're right. Like that's like like uh, America in 2001 was having like a real largely R and B moment, um, and yeah. like and that uh, corner of the universe and the whole. I mean, it's funny because we talk about how the whole movie visually is sort of this time capsule to 2001, very very literally, and in terms of the product placement and all the companies they feature in those. But tonally, it it is really paying homage to like mid 20th century Archie comics heyday. Yeah. Like I wonder. 
wonder if there was some sort of like, you know, especially thinking of that thing you do and Josie and the Pussycats are both like, yeah, I wonder if there was maybe some panic in sort of the record industry or Hollywood at the time with all of these like R&B and rap and like kind of outsider music groups coming up that like there were these pushes to make these movies about white groups that, you know, rock the charts with their they're good, like you wholesome, know, old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We I should mean, also mention, yeah, they were about to have like a racial tension moment plot oh, yeah. line with Rosario Dawson, and then they were like, nah, never mind. And then they were like, oh, it's over. Like, oh yeah. no, it wasn't about race at all. It was about Josie's gift of friendship. What a good white friend. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shot off of that real quick. Well, yeah, like specifically, like the the manager Alan Cumming character, like singles out rosario dawson's character like all the time in mm-hmm. the movie like he did it like a couple times and it was just never brought up and like never really explained and then it was also followed by like these scenes of like her kind of walking around feeling bad for herself like there was like a very like kind of racial undertone yeah um, that, yeah like, that they never mentioned explored. that like yeah. she played as an actress but like yes. was never like written into the script it felt like yeah again yeah. Rosario Dawson's being underserved by this movie in like absolutely <laughs> every way doing too much work for this movie yeah, yeah should have showed up for the paycheck and not tried so labor. hard yeah. D- deserved there's, so much better there's no way that pretend to be nice ever could have been a 2001 number one hit like when you think about those songs that you talked about like I mean even the Shaggy songs like people <laughs> fucking love Shaggy oh, like, we still do he's an you institution know, like, <laughs> you said like Angel and all I could think of was like Shorty, you're my angel, you're my darling, baby. Oh, yeah. like, right oh, off I the bat, know. like I just hear it start yeah. playing in my head, and I'm like, yeah, that's that. Like, those are fucking jams. Even, even the Nickelback, <laughs> I can like hear playing when you when you talk about it. And like, like for are... the two, there's only two songs I think that are like rock songs, like yeah. or, you know what we'd call guitar music or whatever. Uh, and it's the Crazy Town song <laughs> and Nickelback. Yeah. Guitar music. Well, that's what people call it. That's what people music. like call yeah. because now you don't hear a lot of guitar music. Uh, wow, you obviously aren't listening to Better Oblivion Community Center. <laughs> Chart topping band. Wow, how dare you? Yeah, all, like almost all of those songs, like I, you could still play today, and like if you put on like jag, like it wasn't me at a party, like people will get down. People to are it. gonna lose I think their if mind. You put pretend to be nice on at a party. Somebody <laughs> would ask you to fucking change it. There's gonna be a lot of furrowed brows. It's gonna be a lot of like, what is this? Like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Yeah, no. Be like, no, uh, no, 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 Oxcord duty fucking revoked, my dude. Get get over here. But it makes it. I think it. it make that thing you do the song i think the fact that adam wrote that and that is a believably a hit that could have existed at the time that movie takes place and b is like such a catchy good song that you believe is a hit song i just like drives some like that was a magic thing that i think adam was able to pull off and it just goes to show it's not easy to do like to manifest a hit song out of nowhere i guess he didn't have the cultural like you know, he couldn't study like, oh, in 2001, what are the top songs? Because it was like currently happening. So maybe it's easier <laughs> yeah. to go back in time and manufacture a hit from the past. But even so, I mean, you know, that's that's a big ask to like hire a songwriter and be like, can you just write a pretend hit song? And he's like, I'm trying to write a real hit song over <laughs> here, my guy. Like, come on. <laughs> it's a very specific and necessary niche that Adam Schlesinger fills writing hit songs for fictional people. Yeah. 
Yeah, he really does. And he does a great job at it normally. Um... <laughs> Sorry. I can't help but feel that, like, after writing, like, two songs for movies that just, like, soared the charts, he was like, I'm just going to do this myself. Like, this, the next one's just going to be under my name. It's going to be under my band. Because he probably looked at, you know, that thing you do and was like, I could be probably profiting off, or I could be making more money off this than you know yeah well he probably like did that thing you do and produced slash recorded fountains of wayne self-titled in the same year like he could have been doing those things at the same time much like chris collingwood was simultaneously getting married apparently yeah yeah i mean these guys were busy you know like you think about like Adam Schlesinger is doing this while also being actively part of Fountains of Wayne, while also being actively part of Ivy, while also taking on other projects for film, TV, and theater. Like, it's just, like, amazing. Writing how many TV jingles that we just don't know about. Yeah, just stuff you don't even realize. Doing engineering and producing work for, like, other bands. Like, you know, I think ran a studio in New York. Like, just, like, such an incredibly... The body of work that that man (laughs) left behind is just, like, astounding. And, like not to sound christian but like a blessing yes (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and they didn't release an album in this year but two years later was welcome interstate managers which is like when you hear pretend to be nice and then later like and a career-defining album happens two years later. Like, wow, what growth. <laughs> yeah. That said, the Pretend to be Nice definitely, if there's an album, it would be on It's Traffic and Weather. Like, I could see that being a space <laughs> yeah, filler yeah. on Traffic and Weather, for sure. Towards the end. Yeah, <laughs> it's also there at the end. Also, again, I mean, obviously, again, he is the careerist at writing fake hit songs, but predetermining Stacey's mom again. Yeah, true. It's really kind of spooky when you go back and look at that. Ooh, like Halloween episode. Ooh, spooky. Predetermined. Yeah, speaking of Final Destination, yeah. um, but chart-topping uh, version, edition. There could have been like a montage of Fountains of Wayne climbing the charts as Stacey's mom became a big hit, uh, which basically would have been the same montage as the one in Josie and the Pussycats, but with Fountains of Wayne. <laughs> Oh my god! Like two years later, I want a montage. Um, I promise you, you won't guess it. But uh, do you want to guess the number one song in terms of like how many weeks it spent on the top one, the Hot 100 on Billboard? It never got to number one, but if the whole 100, it was there the longest. It was in a way the number one song of the year in 2001. Yeah. Am I definitely gonna know it? I don't recognize, I feel like I would recognize the melody, but I don't think I recognize the name. I, I recognize the band. I remember the band being popular, but it's one of those things where you hear it and be like, oh, I, I like forgot six. about that shit. Um, the band it? remained yeah, popular for like another 10 years. The band is Lifehouse. Remember oh, Lifehouse? Oh, wait, was it? Wait, let me guess. Oh, fuck. Wait. No, yeah, tell me. Hanging by a Moment by oh, Lifehouse. Oh, shut the Hottest fuck song up. of 2001. I am, as always, Amiss, like, all this R&B and flashback. hip-hop, it's so fucking <laughs> yeah. random that Lifehouse is the top song. Wait, I feel like I can remember the melody if you just give me a second. Drops Wait, of Jupiter hanging. clocked in at number four. I would have expected that to be over Lifehouse any day. Yeah, me too. Drops Hanging of Jupiter. Moment here yeah. You. Oh, we're here. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that song, I mean, honestly, though, if you turn on, like, any radio station, that song that is still inescapable. Yeah, that any might still be on the listening. Hot 100. That's a good point. Um, other sleeper hit of the early 2000s, The Reason by Hoobastank. 
Oh, is that 2001? Because that would definitely be here. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I think uh, that's later. Maybe it's th- oh, 03. I would guess I think it's much. L- I think it's later. Sorry, sorry, big non sequitur. Talking about 2003 instead of 2001. <laughs> well, I remember um, watching the music video for Who Was Yeah, Dank's the, the all-white music video for <laughs> The Reason. Um, looking um, at this is, I really implore everybody to look at uh, the Wikipedia Billboard year-end Hot 100 singles of 2001. Wait, it's it's really something. Lenny Kravitz in the top ten, Destiny's Child, Alicia Keys, Janet Jackson, Train, J Lo, Matchbox Twenty, If oh, You're Gone, Eve featuring if Gwen I Stefani. If I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? God, yep. what a what a time! No wonder R and B was the dominant genre of music because the uh, the R and B songs you look back and you're like, yeah, those hold up, those are so good. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. the rock songs are abysmal. It's no wonder <laughs> people are like, why don't the kids like rock music? And it's like because rock music fucking murdered like, itself. We thought like that was Counting Crows. <laughs> yeah, people had just turns out just people who listen to rock had no fucking taste in the yeah. early two thousands. Sorry, oh nail um, in the coffin. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! That yeah, drops of Jupiter absolutely hung in the rafters of my fucking middle school. That had life long past two thousand one. That song was on so many haunted mix CDs. Oh, bad, yeah. bad energy, bad juju in that song. It's been a while by Stained. All the rock songs are the same song. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> like, come on. With arms wide open. Literally oh all God. the same song. Yeah, like all popular rock was like soft rock or like even, oh yeah. And like the. It was like post grunge, easy listening soft. Like it had the yeah. voice, but like it, was, it didn't rock very hard, you know? It yeah. was easy to listen to. Get Your Freak On by Missy Elliott. That was that was here. Yep. Creed with Arms Wide Open. Yeah, that's that's here. Nelly's oh, on here. Oh God! I hope you dance by Leanne Womack. Oh, oh God. God, that's such here. a bummer. That oh God, weddings everywhere, shivering. All right. Yeah. All right, yeah. We gotta wrap this up. We're just saying. <laughs> we're just. This is. Uh, this is spiraling. Uh, yeah, we should wrap this up. Uh, thank. Thank you, all people who um back us on Patreon, uh, especially members of the Excel Lounge, our VIPs, backing us to the highest level. It is because of you that we get to make these bonus episodes, and yep. you make making the regular show much easier. Um, and it, it we really couldn't do it without you. So thank you to everybody. And check your emails because we will be coming to your home to record. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be yeah. in your closet recording probably next week, maybe already. You might want to check yeah, that closet now. We uh, we harvested your credit card information for your addresses, and we will yep. be on your doorstep. We don't care if it's your child at home and you're not there. We are going to be there so yep. soon. We need a warm house every week, different house every single time. Yeah. It's scary. And now, like, the very meta horror house theatrical production of that begins yeah this is the this is the halloween special it is breaking and entering for a whole month (laughs) to make uh fountains of splain and fountains of splain bonus content immersive media content fully it's what's in right now yeah who knows you might listen to the next patreon exclusive and find that that episode was recorded in your home love you love you